Welcome to the Pacific Forest Foundation's Talking Timber, where each week you meet the professionals behind the Northwest timber industry. Hi, and welcome. I'm Diane Mettler, Executive Director of the Pacific Logging Congress and host of Talking Timber. In this episode, we are going to be talking to Bob Brash, Executive Director of BC's Truck Loggers Association. He's going to talk about some of the things the association is involved in currently. In the meantime, I want to thank our sponsors, the Pacific Logging Congress and the Pacific Forest Foundation. Both are promoting sound, technical forest education through projects like this podcast. This year, the Pacific Forest Foundation awarded $30,000 in scholarships. To find out more about the organization, just visit www.pacificforestfoundation.org. We also want to thank our sponsors, Timber West Magazine. The publication is packed with valuable and useful job stories on successful mechanized harvesting, plus wood processing techniques. For more information, visit www.forestnet.com. Okay, now let's hear from Bob and how he got involved in the forest industry. My dad was in the Forest Service, the BC Forest Service. So he was a, I think he was a ranger and then the district manager by the time he retired. So we moved around a fair amount. Um, and obviously I was exposed to the outdoors quite a bit. Um, got to, you know, live a pretty carefree, carefree lifestyle for a kid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and um, you know, finished uh, high school. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be honest, right from the get-go. And then uh, decided, well, what the hell, give forestry a try. So I gave forestry a try and obviously quite liked it. Uh, if yeah. I'm being totally honest, I... Um, Probably didn't know how to differentiate a spruce tree from a pine tree when I first started, but it didn't take long to figure that stuff out. And I guess the uh, the rest is history after that uh, two years of technical college. So, so, so what uh, what job did you get into initially? Uh, the first few jobs, uh, probably typical summer jobs for a lot of students, um, doing regen surveys and silviculture surveys was the, the the biggest part. And of course, there was always firefighting on the on the sidelines and stuff yeah. like that, which was always exciting. Uh, especially the attack phase. Yeah, to yeah. Day, I still, I still don't like the mop-up phase, but whatever. I think that's common to all of us. Yeah, <laughs> no um, one likes the cleanup. Yeah, so really, with the Forest Service at the beginning, uh, the BC okay. Forest Service, and um, and you know, kind of followed in Dad's footsteps, I guess, to some extent. Um, okay. And that was in the Kootenay area primarily to start with, but um, kind of like him, I moved around a lot in the Forest Service uh, at the beginning of my career, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then, so um, what was your path to the TLA? Oh, I guess kind of convoluted. I mean, I was with the Forest Service for 20 some odd years, I guess, and then went to the private sector uh, for a market logging type company and then uh, went on to um, work with a First Nations uh, company out of Haida Gwaii that was starting a company right from scratch. Um, Wow. After about 10 years, uh, oh, and in that time with Husby, to be honest, I was a board director on the Truck Loggers Association. Okay. Uh, and then got out of the organization for a while when I went to this other job and then um, finished with that job and uh, kind of took a year off. And then mm-hmm. this opportunity came up by chance and uh, I put my name uh, up for it. And uh, I guess they were either dumb or smart enough to hire <laughs> So It sounds like they already knew about you a little bit too, if you'd been on the board before, so. Yeah, they did for sure. And obviously the, you know, it's probably no different than you guys. Uh, while there's tons of people in this business in the forest sector, it, it, you know, a lot of people, we know each other, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Past sort of the, 
meetings and stuff like that. So yeah, we we kind of all know know who each other are to some extent, to be honest. Yep. So for someone who's listening who doesn't know a lot about the Truck Loggers Association, can you give us a little background or what they're about? Yeah, the Truck Loggers has been around for uh, a little longer than me. I think we're now <laughs> 78 years, 79 years. So it's been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the first, if not the first, forestry type association group in British Columbia. Um, so today we've got about uh, about 500 members um, and these members are comprised of obviously uh, logging contractors, subcontractors, uh, suppliers to the industry, uh, service providers to the industry, um, communities. We probably I think we're up to about 18 different community members throughout BC. Uh-huh. And so pretty diverse uh, uh, membership uh, and, and folks are involved all the way from obviously logging to uh, actually running entire licenses themselves or joint ventures with First Nations. Um, so it's it's certainly evolved over the time uh, than when it first started. And I, I guess I would think we're probably one of the premier sort of uh, logging organizations with, within the province um, and our I guess the two main things, and this is oversimplifying things, of course, but the two main things that we do is advocacy for the industry and our members, of course, Mm -hmm. and then uh, then just providing benefits and services to our membership. Okay. And so what are some of the big ticket things happening that TLA is involved in right now? We kind of stick our nose into a bit of everything (laughs) right now. now, you know, there's lots of change happening in BC. Yeah. Um, uh, the government's brought in lots of uh, legislative changes and uh, and made their intentions pretty clear in terms of sort of wanting to sort of change the dynamic of the industry in this province in terms of uh, tenures uh, and the amount of tenures that go to First Nations, um, forestry practices, the amount of area that's going to be sort of uh, um, deferred from harvesting for old growth protection, how they want to address climate change, um, you know, our practices in general. So lots of change happening in British Columbia and to varying extents, depending on the issue, we, uh, as I said before, uh, get involved in most of those things um, okay. one way or another. And uh, yes, lots, lots going on these days. Yeah, I've been reading a lot and kind of your job's busy right now. So uh, yeah, you know, it certainly is. And um, <laughs> You know, we're we're right as we speak right now. It's a bit of a summer break, so government kind of kind of goes to sleep a bit. But uh, come come September, she'll she'll get roaring again. So yeah. So so for you, when um, you you know try to tackle an issue, do you talk to members of the government, or you know, what are some of the things you guys do to? Yeah, our advocate, advocate, advocate takes, change or something. Yeah, our ab- ab- advocacy takes many paths. Um, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, we you know first and foremost sort of deal with our members and try to get their thoughts and opinions on stuff. We also have a, a board of directors, and obviously we talk a lot because we meet regularly, probably about eight times a year. So we talk regularly about what the issues are and what our stance or position might be. So that's the first first route that we have to mm-hmm. go into. And, and then the people we interact with, um, obviously the politicians. So we will have meetings with the politicians um, and the respective both parties. Well, there's two major parties in British Columbia provincial election, uh, provincial sort of politics. Um, Mm -hmm. We'll meet with both sides, uh, tell them what our position is on certain areas and what our concerns are. Um, We'll also meet quite a bit with municipal sort of mayors and and consuls. 
And then we'll uh, work in the public sector, our public arena also with um, you know, social media, um, okay. um, ads, those kind of things. And then lastly, um, we of course work with other associations, like-minded forestry associations in British Columbia to sort of try to, to sort of um, find common ground and maybe amplify our messages uh, okay. to both the public and politicians. So yeah, many, many different routes that we sort of try to go down the advocacy path. How long have you been there now? Four years, three. I'm... No, no, I've only been uh, now been with the truck loggers for about two and a half years. Other than the time when I was in the board before, okay. but, uh, two and a half years in this role. And uh, um, yeah, like I said, there's lots of challenges in the business these days, and um, and uh, lots of sort of uh, um, ways we're sort of trying to sort of um, you know solve some of the problems. The biggest thing we're probably trying to do right now is is work with other associations like I mentioned to, to try to sort of amplify our voice because right now the concern is about you know whether government is listening and stuff and okay. it's, uh, it's hard to get our, our our voice in front of them so uh, I figure the the more the merrier will sort of help and yeah. so that's where we're putting a lot of our efforts into right now. Hi we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors the Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress. The Pacific Logging Congress is going to hold its annual conference in Scottsdale, Arizona this year, November 6th to the 9th. There will be great networking opportunities and dynamic speakers. To find out more or to register, just visit www.pacificloggingcongress.org. Okay, back to Bob and about recent legislation in BC. I'm kind of curious. Um, I had read, you know, how they had they passed some legislation about old growth and how much you know can or can't um, harvest. Um, once something's been passed, is it hard to go backwards with the government? Will they do it? Or that's an obvious concern that um, once you know even temporary deferral systems are made, mm -hmm. temporary deferral decisions are made. Once those are made, it's it's very hard to sort of back back down from those. Uh, Okay. Even if things, you know, are proven to be sort of uh, uh, wrong in terms of yeah. the, the original merits for the decision, for instance, you know, I guess the pers perspective we're taking on old growth protection is, yeah, there's probably areas that definitely need to sort of be protected from from harvesting activities, but there's also tons of gray area in between where active forest management, if you're looking at, you know, objectives for, you know, climate change, sequestration of carbon. Mm -hmm. biodiversity if you're looking at all those things combined to one instead of having this simple yes or no debate about whether we ever harvest a stand yeah. you know there are innovative things that we can do in terms of harvest systems that would sort of hopefully allow us to have some sort of um, you know the volume extraction from those stands but also you know better meet what they're trying to achieve because i mean Let's face yeah. it, you know, stands that are close to town that never get managed become more of a fire hazard over town or over time. They become, yeah. you know, they become more of a carbon emitter than than a sequestration. So, uh, you know, it is a sort of unfortunate sort of narrative right now that we're dealing with. That it seems that some, especially in the, you know, some in the environmental movement, just make it this yes or no proposition when that that's just not the the right avenue to go down. At least in our in our opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so a lot of this is going to be, I guess, education on your end to bring people up to speed. Is that it? Well, you know, there there's quite a narrative going on out there in the public arena right now, and I read what's happening down south in the states too. I think you guys are facing it also, yeah. and. Uh, that narrative right now, there's there's a concerted effort by 
you know, some in society mm -hmm. to sort of try to, you know, discredit our industry and, and stop us from harvesting and stuff like that. And, and that's an unfortunate narrative because mm -hmm. it's it's not very constructive, but, you know, also in BC, I mean, there's over a hundred thousand people that depend on the, in, on this industry, right? Yeah. But, but that narrative is kind of winning, winning the day in some, you know, political arenas these days. And, uh, you know, it's translating to government decisions that might not mm -hmm. be the best decisions. It's translating into business decisions where people are, you know, facing uncertainty. And then lastly, you know, getting, getting uh, investment and people, young people, yeah. especially into the industry there, that narrative is not helping, you know, with those, uh, those causes either. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. So I, I will, that's a good segue. I was going to ask you, do you see a lot of opportunities for the next generation into the industry? Oh, certainly. I mean, there was, you know, there was lots of opportunities for me and that, that was, that was back in the stone age. Now, now, <laughs> now the industry is, um, industry is is probably one of the more technologically advanced industries um out there i mean mm -hmm. look at all the stuff we're doing these days i mean you know god they throw a drone into the air and you know they can they can do cruise and volume estimates and the, the, the satellite yeah. energy not, none of that tools was even available but very technical sort of uh, um uh, requirements for those type of jobs and of course um you know there's all the the, the other law jobs with logging but but um, forest products that are getting produced yeah. these days and the and the work that the scientists are doing to try to get more products out of a chunk of wood that again can help all of us moving forward um get away from you know the the uh, plastic plastic uh yes. all that kind of stuff i mean so there's lots of opportunities and let's face it it's a it's a well-paying industry um, mm -hmm. it provides real solutions to the challenges of the day that's that's out there wood will always be in demand people will mm -hmm. always want it to for whatever product they want and let's face it uh you know there's a lot of people that are going to be retiring from the business so mm -hmm. i think it's going to be um, lots of opportunities and and lots of uh you know openings and probably a pretty strong guarantee for long-term employment so uh, yeah i think there's lots of opportunities for the youth yeah great I, I I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> so I, I do, bet. <laughs> yeah. So do you have um some areas that I mean you're kind of excited where TLA's had some impact? Well, I think I think we're listened to. Um, mm -hmm. um we um you know we can talk from the heart, we can talk as as you know, small business owners, we can talk as community leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can talk as community supporters. Um, so we're, you know, we're not just a licensee. We're we're the ones that will always be around, um, you know, regardless of what you know governments do for tenure changes and reallocations and all that kind of stuff. Because people will continue to, you know, our members will continue to live in those communities. So I think you know we uh, we have the opportunity for a voice that uh, I think makes sense to a lot of them. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll continue to sort of take advantage of that as much as possible um, and uh, try to do all the right things in terms of promoting, you know, how 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 good we are at innovating, because obviously, obviously, society has changing expectations. I mean, I can think of yes. all the changes that have happened during my career in this fourth sector. And, you know, frankly, us good old loggers, uh, we're pretty good at innovation. And yep. we can do it again. So society has these changing expectations. I mean, we can adapt to those those expectations. And it's a matter of, you know, working with government, especially in BC. I like to say there's, you know, 10 different ways to kick that football through the goalposts. But, but <laughs> you know, only one of the one of those 10 is the right way to do things. And so you can still have the goalposts, but 
you know, involve us to sort of come up with the best solution. Mm. No, that's that's really good. Um, I you guys have a conference every year. Um, one coming up this two thousand. You had it already for two thousand twenty-two. Is that correct? Uh, well, yeah, we had to go virtual for the last two years, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of that darn thing called COVID. Yeah. Um, so uh, the hope is, and all the expectations are, that we'll be able to do it live. Uh, so it'll be mid-January uh, up in up in the Vancouver area, and uh, looking forward to it. I think it's the first time, well, you know, it'll be first time in three years by the time it comes where we've actually got together in person as as a, as a big group. So we're looking forward to that happening for a change. Yeah, I've been there once or twice. It's a great conference. So I highly yeah, recommend if anybody's in the area to get to it. So yeah, no, and I mean during our you know conference, we try to sort of uh, we try to you know hit the issues head on. We we don't mind bring a bring a diverse set of viewpoints to the panels. Um, you know, good, bad, ugly, for or against. It doesn't matter to us because uh, you know we want to sort of encourage dialogue and discussion about the issues. So mm-hmm. so this it. If people should just check your website out if they're interested, if they're going to think about going or. Yeah, well, it. probably, I think the timing for getting a draft agenda out there would probably be around uh, September, mid, okay. mid, late December is the first time there might be a draft agenda that comes out. And then, of course, it'll get more and more finalized. But even now, I mean, it, it seems like it's a, a long time to go to January, but even now we're trying to confirm, uh, you know, the, a good portion of the speakers because people's calendars fill up quickly. They fill out quick. Yeah. So especially the sort of uh, good speakers, right? So, yep. Yep. So how many, how many days is it? I'm trying to remember because it has uh, been a little bit since I've been there. Yeah. It's, it'll, it'll run three days and probably, you know, to, you know, be an annual general meeting stuffed in there. So be about two and a half days of actual speakers and panels and stuff. So what, what are you enjoying most about your job now, well, that, you've, now that you've had, now that you've had a couple of years to get used to it. So uh, for me, the job offers all kinds of diversity. Uh, it it uh, allows me to talk to all kinds of different folks and groups and mm-hmm. different stripes of people, all the way from the you know the politicians and uh, down to the community folks, uh, down to the contractors. And so um, it's, uh, it, it's it's good from that perspective, and uh, we can stick our toe in just about every issue because one way or another, the issues uh, will affect us one way or another. But, you know, we, we take the stance as an organization that, uh, you know, even if a, an issue isn't particularly sort of directly relevant to us, at the end of the day, the old saying about, you know, when the, when the tide rises, all boats rise, that's kind yep. of the objective we, we sort of go towards. Right. So. Oh, no, that's really good. Yeah. Totally agree. Um, do you guys kind of set priorities every year or do you just kind of like, you know, attack the different issues as they happen or, you know, do you? Yeah, it's kind of been like there's been a, a bit of a sustained sort of round of activity by the yeah. sort of looking at all of them. But I could probably distill it down to two or three things. I mean, obviously, the we don't want the government to sort of be lock themselves into an absolute position with all the sort of old growth at the areas that they want to defer because that uh, will automatically sort of reduce the the annual harvest and reduce it substantially yeah. and impact lots of people so that's a concern um the other sort of major thing is this narrative i'm talking about uh we're, we have to work with others to try to sort of change the change the uh the narrative out there and to, uh, and, and at least try to counter some of the things that other groups that are against our sector are trying to or are saying yeah are saying yeah Mm -hmm. and uh so we need to do that and then lastly is um 
is uh, we all have challenges getting people for the jobs these days. And so mm -hmm. what's what's the plan between government and the, and the licensees for how we're going to make sure that uh, our contractors and uh, people working in the business uh, are sustainable? And so those are probably the, you know, one way or another, just about everything we deal with is related to probably those three topics. Those are pretty three big ones. <laughs> so. They are. That's the, the nature of the, the nature of the beast right now in British Columbia. Hi, we want to thank our sponsors, Pacific Forest Foundation and the Pacific Logging Congress, as well as Timber West Magazine for making this podcast possible. And we also want to give a big thank you to Bob Brash for taking time out to be part of Talking Timber. Until next time, take care. <laughs>